Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. Well, good morning. And uh, for those of you who are just joining us, uh, I hope you know that we are uh, we're doing a little bit of a series. We're in week five of a teaching series we've been doing called Love Story, and uh, we've been working our way through uh, a very specific book of the Bible known as the Song of Songs, or sometimes known as the Song of Solomon. And uh, this book of the Bible is, is unique. It's, it's, a, it's a bit of ancient Hebrew poetry, and uh, there are a number of poems kind of interwoven through the eight chapters of this book. And they all describe different themes uh, regarding love. And uh, it, it basically looks at a romantic relationship between two people. Solomon, who we've referred to as Solomon, and Shulamith. And it talks about they're romantic, they're physical, they're intimate, um, sometimes even a messy relationship together. So, uh, you know, first week we, we looked at the theme of attraction. Uh, and then the week after that we looked at courtship. Uh, week number three was a, a PG-13 week. It was an interesting week. We talked about God-honoring sex. Yeah, whistle. You can whistle that. Okay. Uh, and then last week, uh, we talked about when things get messy. We looked at when the honeymoon is over and uh, things kind of fall apart in relationship. Well, this week um, in the series, we are going to explore the topic of lifelong love. Now, um, before we dive into today's topic, I just, I just want to ask a question. I want to answer a question for you this morning because I think it's important as we finish this series uh, that we, we just kind of wrap it up and we talk about this, is why does this matter? Why are we doing this series on lifelong love and on, on the love story? Uh, first, let me just say this. God wants your marriage to succeed. For those of you who are married here today, those of you maybe who are thinking about marriage one day or planning for it on the way there, you're engaged or whatnot, God ultimately wants our marriages to succeed. Lifelong, thriving marriages were part of God's plan from the beginning. They are part of God's big plan for human flourishing. So marriages matter to God. But second, the second thing I would say this, and then particularly if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, you've committed your life to Him and you you want uh, to live your life for Him together, your marriage matters because it ultimately, your marriage demonstrates God's love to the world. You know, we read this in the book of Ephesians, that uh, Ephesians teaches us that your marriage is ultimately a reflection of Christ's love for his people. Did you know that? So, so when, when, when people look at your married life together, they get a little bit of a glimpse, a little bit of a picture of Christ's love, of God's love for all of humanity. So have you ever considered that your marriage may in fact be one of the greatest means in your life to bring God glory, to show the world that God is real, that he is alive, and that he has a, a loving plan for, for their lives. Have you ever thought about that? So can there be a more important reason to pursue lifelong love together? And, and so for us here at Crosspoint, we think it's really, really important. We want to see marriages thrive. We want to see marriages, um, uniquely designed marriages, just to be used to bring glory to God and, and to make his name great here in the city and to the ends of the earth. That's, that's really, really important uh, for us. Now, I... Uh, at this time of year, I'm pretty stoked. Anyone stoked for springtime to come? Uh, glad to see the snow melting. No more snow. I'm, I'm pretty happy about that. Um, I, I love getting outside. I love running the trails. I love getting my bike out. Um, so I am happy to see winter go by. But I will be honest. The, the one thing I will f- miss about wintertime 
is having fires in my fireplace. I have a wood-burning fireplace in my living room, and one of the best things I love in the wintertime is to light a fire in there, just sit by the fire, read a book, or hang out with Karen, have conversation and whatnot. I just love a roaring fire in my living room. And I'm a bit of a fire enthusiast, um, so I'll build a fire whenever I can, how often, however often I can, as long as I've got wood and I've got flame. Now, I've discovered that if you are going to build a long-lasting fire in your fireplace, you need to have a strategy. So if you're just sitting at home in your living room, and you haven't made any plans, but you just say, hey, let's, let's make a fire, right? And it's like 30 degrees below outside, and you look over at the fireplace, and you realize, oh, there's no wood there, there's no paper, I got no matches you're going to find yourself in a little bit of trouble. What you're going to find yourself doing is you're going to find yourself... I've done this before, okay? This is before strategy came into place. But I find myself walking through two feet of snow outside with a parka in my backyard, finding my way to a frozen pile of logs, wrapping them in my arms, coming back in the house, all the while muttering under my breath, wishing that I had done something different to have a strategy for a a good, long-lasting fire. But since then, if you know anything about me, I'm a little bit of a strategy geek. I'm a planner. I like having systems in place. I hate when systems break down. I like systems, okay? So I have a systematic strategy for long-lasting fire. So I, early in the season, I pre-chop all my kindling. I got a bucket of kindling in my, in, my, in my garage so that it doesn't get snow on it, you know? And I save newspapers, so I stuff them in there. They're ready to go. I get my logs in the house way in advance. I pile up the wood in a certain area. If the wood comes in cold, I stack it neatly like a Jenga set on top of the heat vents so it dries itself out. I have a strategy in place for long-lasting fire. So whenever I need a fire, and we're looking at each other, we say, hey, you want a fire? Yeah, I want a fire. I'm like, yes, strategy. Okay, and I go, I put this thing together. It's roaring, having a great night together. Now, if you're going to have a long-lasting fire, you need a strategy. The point of what I'm trying to say is just simply this. For your marriage, if you are going to have a long-lasting love marriage, you need a plan. You need a strategy. Um, Karen and I, this fall, will be reaching our 25-year mark for our marriage. And the question we have to ask, yeah, who, yeah, I'm going to be out of town. But yeah, we're having a, <laughs> I'm going to be in Asia somewhere, but you know, I'll, I'll probably call her. Uh, <laughs> we'll figure something out before we have that. We'll figure it out. It's only 25 years. I mean, come on. Um, Yes, we are going to have a 25-year anniversary, so uh, we'll, we'll figure it out. I'll let you know at year 30. Okay, um, so the question for us then is, how do, we, how do we get from year 25 to year 50, right? And not just survive it, okay, but how do we thrive through it? How do we thrive from year 25 to year 50? And I think as we read the message this morning, as we read into the text, Solomon gives us some great ideas. Solomon and Shulamith give us some really great ideas of how to make our marriages not just survive, but to thrive. Um, Today, we're going to read about the marriage relationship. Um, They are are well past the honeymoon, okay? We talked about that a number of chapters ago. Uh, They've gotten through their first conflict together, all right? The honeymoon was over. And what we're going to look at today is they're entering to the long game of marriage. And as we look at the text, what we're going to discover are four practices for lifelong love. So we're going to walk through the text together. And we're going to unpack the text, and as we look at it, we're going to discover what these four practices are. So if you're taking notes this morning, you have bulletin notes with you, here's the first practice. Maintain attraction. 
maintain traction. So let's look at the first uh, six verses of this chapter uh, together. Solomon says this. He says, oh, how beautiful your sandaled feet, O prince's daughter. Your graceful legs are like jewels, the work of an artist's hands. Your navel is a rounded goblet that never lacks blended wine. Your waist is a mound of wheat encircled by lilies. Okay. Your breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle. Let's keep reading. Uh, your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are the pools of Heshbon by the gate of Bath-Rabim. Your nose is like the tower of Lebanon looking toward Damascus. Your head crowns you like Mount Carmel. Your hair is like royal tapestry. The king is held captive by its tresses. How beautiful you are and how pleasing my love with your delights. Now, let me just make a quick a couple of quick observations here. Observation number one. This chapter is describing the married life together. How do we know that? She's naked. Observation number two. Solomon is clearly, clearly attracted to Shulamith. I mean, he begins in verse 1 and ends in verse 6 by talking about how beautiful she is. Actually, verse 1 and verse 6 are like bookends about the story of her beauty. And then he goes into great detail between verse 1 and verse 6, describing what it is that he finds beautiful about her. Now, if you remember from a couple of weeks ago, uh, in the honeymoon suite, okay, Solomon began by looking at Shula's eyes at the top of her head, and then he sort of worked his way down toward his neckline. He doesn't do that anymore, okay? He has passed the honeymoon suite. Now, he begins at the bottom, and he works his way up, and he's drinking it all in. Now, uh, as we notice throughout this book, metaphors metaphors are deeply meaningful, okay? They, they stand for something else, okay? Um, but some of these obviously don't translate well in our day, right? Is there any woman here this morning who would be glad to hear that her belly looks like a mound of wheat? Anybody? <laughs> or, or your nose looks like the Tower of Lebanon, right? No, okay, but, but in that day, they would have made a lot of sense, and they would have been very, very understandable. I mean, let's be honest. If we were to take our pop songs from today, and we were saying, okay, let's translate, translate our pop songs and the lyrics we use to describe each other back 2,000, 3,000 years, it probably wouldn't make sense to them as well. Um, so, uh, baby, you're a firework. Come on, show me what you're worth. Okay? Anyone know who sang that? Yeah. Katy Perry. Yeah, okay, okay. Um, you're my wonder wall, right? What, the, what does that mean? Okay. You are my fire, my one desire. You ain't nothing but a hound dog crying all the time. Okay, maybe not that one. Uh, every rose has its thorn. Okay, maybe not that one. Um, your body is a wonderland. Okay, okay. so you get the point. Our, our, our modern metaphors make sense to us in our modern context, but their metaphors made sense to them in their context, and they were deeply meaningful. Um, anyways, the point is, after all these years in marriage, Solomon and Shulamith, are still into each other. They are still mushhead romantics. They have this maintained, well-oiled attraction for each other. See, here's the thing. Attraction is something that you need to maintain throughout your marriage. It's not something that just kind of happens to you. Attraction is something you actually have to work on. Um, you pick up this idea in, in another text uh, written by Solomon in Proverbs chapter 5. Let's look at it, verse 18 to 20. And Solomon, right here, he's speaking to young men about marriage, okay? And he's giving them sagely advice about their, their wives together, okay? Here's what he says. May your fountain be blessed, young man, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. 
Why, my son, be intoxicated with another man's wife? Why embrace the bosom of a wayward woman? So Solomon basically says this. Listen, rejoice in the wife of your youth. In other words, what he's saying is stay attracted to your spouse. Be intoxicated by her figure. Be intoxicated by her person, her character. Be intoxicated by her love. And, and, and intoxication isn't something that, that just happens to you, okay? It's not accidental. It's intentional. It is something you build. It's something that you actually invest in. So you can choose to be intoxicated by your own spouse. That's what he's saying. But... He also says in verse 20, you can also choose, you can also be, uh, decide to be intoxicated by somebody other than your spouse, okay? The implication is that it's not something you do, it's something that gets, uh, uh, it's, it's something you do, not something that gets done to you. So here's the thing, you feed your desires. Did you know that? You feed your desires. So the desire you choose to feed or to pursue is the desire within you that ultimately will grow, and the more you feed it, the more it will grow. So if you are feeding off the emotional intimacy of a fellow office worker, co-worker, that's going to grow. If you are feeding off the airbrushed, silicon-adjusted images on porn sites, that desire within you is going to grow. And it's going to take away from another important desire that needs to grow. You are training your desires for someone other than your spouse. How are we training our desires? How are we growing our affections? Remember the first time you tried coffee? Anyone, anyone drink coffee in the house here? Okay. You remember the first time you tried it? It kind of tasted like dirt. Do you remember that? And what did you do? Very likely, you probably put about half a cup of cream in it, right? Probably dumped a whole bunch of sugar inside of it, right? And then you kind of got a taste for it. You kind of acquired a flavor for it, okay? And you think, hmm, I, I, I kind of like this. And what did you do? You drank more coffee. You drank more coffee. Until eventually, coffee became your desire. For some of you, it might be your addiction, okay? But you grew this desire within you for coffee. It didn't begin that way, but it's something you grew. That's the thing. You train your desires. To maintain attraction to your spouse, you have to feed it. You have to nurture it. You have to grow it. How do you do this? Well, what did Solomon and Shulamith do? Well, I think the first thing that's very clear from the text is, number one, they paid attention. I mean, if Solomon can go into this much explicit detail about Shulamith, he is a man who is paying attention. When Shulamith comes into the bedroom, he doesn't have his face caught up in Facebook. He's not reading a book, okay? He's not snoring on the side, okay? He is paying attention. He's paying attention. And number two is he's paying her compliments. He's vocalizing, he's verbalizing what he sees with his own eyes, okay? Pay attention, pay compliments. Grow attraction. It's so incredibly important, not just in the early stages of your marriage, but it's so much more important even in the latter stages of your marriage. So that's the first one. Here's the second. Here's the second uh, practice. Pursue passion. Pursue passion. Let's keep reading what Solomon says, verse 7 to 10. He says, oh boy, here we go. Your stature is like that of the palm and your breasts like clusters of fruit. I said, I will climb the palm tree. I will take hold of its fruit. Uh, may your breasts be like clusters of grape on the vine, the fragrance of your breath like apples and your mouth like the best wine. That's what he says to her. Here's how she responds. Let's read on. May the wine go straight to my beloved, flowing gently over lips and teeth. I belong to my beloved 
and his desire is for me. Okay, as I said maybe two weeks ago, there are a lot of verses in the Bible that I will happily unpack for you. This is, again, not one of them, okay? (laughs) If you have any sense of imagination, I think you understand what is going on here, unless you're a literalist, okay? You're like Drax the Destroyer from Guardians of the Galaxy. Everything is literal, okay? If you're literal, yes, Solomon, he was just climbing a tree. But chances are, he's a cheeky little monkey. Okay. Now, if you've been tracking with us through this series, you will not be surprised by these words. You will not be surprised that these words are in the text. Okay, as we said and we warned at the beginning of the series, Song of Songs can get a little bit steamy. Why, why, oh why, is this in the Bible? It's in the Bible Because God does not view sex as a bad thing. As a matter of fact, sex was his idea in the first place. He created it. He didn't come along in the garden, see Adam and Eve, and go, whoa, wait a minute, I didn't didn't plan for that, okay? It was his idea from the beginning. As a matter of fact, it's something that God celebrates because God created it for procreation and for our pleasure. Now, God does have a place for sex. He has a very specific design for it. He designed it to be shared between Two people who are in a committed, lifelong covenant marriage together, okay? So God's view of sex actually is higher than the world's view of sex. He has a higher view of it. Um, And the Song of Songs, of course, elevates and celebrates the romantic, intimate, physical relationship between a husband and wife. And these verses that we've just read are a very, very perfect example of that. God wants married couples to um, pursue passion together. Now, just as an aside, um, I I, I can remember when I first encountered these verses in the Bible. Um, And I was was just a a new follower of Jesus. I'd been following him for about six months, and I'd gone off to Bible college. And in Bible college, the guys sometimes get together in the dorm rooms, and we talk about all sorts of things. And, and this particular night, we were, we were just talking around, sitting around, sharing some of the more unique and interesting verses from the Bible. In other words, verses that you'd read from the Bible, and you go, I can't believe that's in there, okay? And we, guys were sharing it. Now, of course, I had read most of the New Testament at that time, but I hadn't read any of the Old Testament. And guys are spouting off verses, like some of my favorite verses today, like Proverbs, where it says, as a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. Love that verse, right? Um, there's, there's another one in, in Isaiah where, where it talks about, um, we groaned as in the pains of childbirth, but we gave birth only to wind. Okay, in other words, we thought we were pregnant, but we flatulated. Okay, so, that, you know, that's an amazing verse, okay? But then we, somebody read this verse. Read this verse, and I thought, what? That's in the Bible? I can't believe that's in the Bible. It completely blew my mind. Needless to say, my devotional life shot up by about 200% uh, from that day forward. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Yeah, it's in there. It's in there. And in these verses, Solomon is pursuing Shulamith. He's pursuing her, even later in marriage. And of course, Shulamith responds to his advances, and she says, I belong to my beloved, and my desire is for him. Here's the thing. If you are going to build lifelong love into your relationship, you need to pursue passion. And can I, can I just give some advice to my married brothers this morning? Okay, married brothers, ears perk up. This is your moment. Um, your wife likes to be pursued. Yeah, <laughs> boop, boop, boop. <laughs> testify, okay, and that's straight from Karen's mouth, okay, 
She, she says that to me all the time. Uh, just because you are married, it does not mean you stop pursuing your wife. She is not a trophy to be put on a shelf reminding you of a past victory. Just because you have her name on your marriage certificate doesn't mean you can move on to other conquests in your life. Pursue your wife every day. Not just because you're trying to climb trees, okay? Pursue her because she needs to know that she is desirable to you. Because that's part of the unique design. Let her know she is desirable. Pursue, pursue, pursue. If you want a lifelong love together, pursue each other. And there are many ways that you can do this, but let me just suggest one of the ways you can do this is just learn to flirt with each other throughout the day. I, uh, I flirt with my wife all the time, over the phone, by text, in the kitchen, okay? You can just ask her. You can ask my daughters, okay? Sometimes my daughter's like, okay, that's enough. There is a line and you have crossed it. Stop, okay? But I'm okay with that. I'm okay to flirt with my wife in front of my kids because I hope that they see that we are pursuing passion together and that we are committed to a lifelong love together for the future, okay? So pursue passion if you're going to build lifelong love. Solomon and Shulamith model this for us. Here's the third practice. Embrace play. Embrace play. Let's keep reading the words of Shulamith starting at verse 11. She says, come, my beloved, let us go to the countryside. Let us spend the night in the villages. Let us go early to the vineyards to see if the vines have budded, if their blossoms have opened, and if the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. The mandrakes send out their fragrance, and at our door is every delicacy, both new and old, that I have stored up for you, my beloved. Well, what's Shulamith saying to Solomon here? She's saying, you know what, let's get out of the palace. This place is a little stuffy. I'm kind of getting tired of hanging out here. Let's get away. Let's go to the countryside. Let's go for a little vacay together. And what she has in mind, of course, it seems, is more than a little sightseeing tour. Yes, she wants to smell the fresh spring air. Yes, she wants to explore the vineyards. But she has something else on mind. She wants to grow intimacy in their relationship together. Now, an interesting side note here in the text. Um, notice that she says, the mandrakes send out their fragrance. In original Hebrew, that word mandrake actually means love apple. Mandrakes were considered an aphrodisiac, okay? So it was, a, it was a love drug, okay? And so what she is offering Solomon seems something more than just long walks and sightseeing. Needless to say, by the time she finishes speaking, Solomon has already packed his bags and he's already looking up uh, <laughs> exotic places to visit on Expedia. I don't know. Uh, yeah, she's like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm into that. Now, to grow lifelong love, you need to embrace play. You need to intentionally create quality time for your relationship. And quality time, let me just say, it consists more than sitting on a couch together, sharing a bag of Doritos. And intimacy is more than just that, that little moment when you both reach into the bag together and you touch hands, okay? <laughs> God has so much more for your relationship than that very small moment. Playtime means setting aside time free from distraction. So free time from the kids, free time from work, free time from email, free time from the internet. Playtime is not only important for your relationship. Let me say this. It is necessary. It is necessary. So I'm just going to give you really uh, a couple of practical ways you can do this. If you haven't noticed, today is a very practical message, okay? Very, very practical ways to do it. Number one, plan dates together. 
Yes, even though you have been married for 30 years, you should continue to date your wife. And a date is, not, is just the two of you doing something together. So not with friends, not with kids and family. A date is just the two of you. And you might think, hey, I see my spouse all the time. We've been together for 30 years. Why in the world do I need to date my wife? Well, here's the answer. Because setting is everything. Setting is everything. If you take a dinner plate out of the cupboard and you place it on the countertop, how extraordinary is that? Not. Not at all. But if you take that same dinner plate and you put it on a luxurious tablecloth and you surround it with beautiful linen and you put, it under, put a charger under it and, and silverware and a, and a wine glass and you light it with candles, it changes everything about that plate. And in the same way, what I'm suggesting is is that you, um, you change the focus, you change the dynamic, you change the conversation of your relationship if you just change the setting. So change the setting of your relationship. This will, and in fact, there's actually biological reasons. It will activate different parts of your brain. Different neural synapses will start to fire. Old pathways that are gathering cobwebs will begin to open up inside of your brain and inside of your heart. If you just change the setting, change the setting, get out and date your spouse. Now, dates don't have to be expensive. And I don't know, because, you know, I'm frugal. Karen's twice as frugal, okay? We're a pretty frugal couple. It's like, ah, oh, I don't want to spend the money. It doesn't have to be expensive. So this, this last year, Karen and I started biking together. I have a truck. We have bikes. We throw in the back of the truck. We just drive somewhere in the city we've never been before, pull out our bikes, and just go on a bike ride together. Last summer, we went out, and we were down in Fort Edmonton, and we went for a long bike ride. We biked for about half an hour, and on our way back, we looked over, and there was a fruit stand, standing right there. And I thought, oh, man, I don't have my wallet. And then I realized I had a little bit of change in my pocket. So we went up to the fruit stand, and we haggled with the person. And by the time we were done, we walked away with a bag full of peaches, right? Went over, sat on a picnic table, ate those peaches. We laughed. We joked around. We had the most extraordinary day together. There, enjoying the outside together, and it cost me $3. $3. It doesn't have to be expensive, but let me just say, change the setting. Date your spouse. And let me just say this as well. You should, not only you should plan dates, but if you can, plan excursions away. Take time away, just you and your spouse. Dates are great, but your intimacy can only go so far before it's interrupted. But a long time away allows you to continue important conversations together. So plan some excursions as well. The bottom line is this. If you are going to embrace play in your marriage, you have to plan for it. You have to work at it. You got to work at it. Here's the final practice. Final practice is this. Affirm dedication. Affirm dedication. Now to, to look at the text for this one, I want to flip over to the next chapter, uh, to chapter eight. And um, this is the final chapter of the book of Song of Songs. And we're actually going to look at the most quoted and the most remembered piece of text from this book. I'm going to start reading at chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse 5. Under the apple tree I roused you. There's a Shulamith speaking here. There your mother conceived you. There she who was in labor gave you birth. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. For love is as strong as death, it's jealousy, unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. 
Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. If one were to give all the wealth of one's house for love, it would be utterly scorned. These verses are, are about a declaration. They're, they're about a commitment to lifelong love. Shulamit says to Solomon, she says, that place me like a seal over your heart. You know, in that day, a seal was, was a sign of ownership. You would put your seal on things. It was kind of a stamp, and you'd stamp it onto things. You'd put your seal on things to demonstrate that they belong to you. But a seal also demonstrated something of great value. Because you wouldn't put your seal on just anything. You would put your seal on the things that matter to you. Uh, we, we have a kind of a similar practice today. We have engraving. People have engravers, you know, and they engrave things that they own, right? I mean, you're going to only engrave the things around your house that really matter to you, the things that are really valuable. Like, you're, you're going to engrave your flat screen TV, but you're not going to engrave your toilet paper or your Ziploc baggies, okay? What is Shulamis saying? She's saying this. I want to own your heart, Solomon. I want to own your heart. I want the most important part about you. I want your heart. I want the center of your whole being, the center of who you are. I want to own that. And I don't want your love just for a little while. I want it forever. I want a committed, lifelong love, the kind of love that can't be bought, the kind of love that can't be stopped, the kind of love that can't be quenched. Promise me this kind of love, Solomon. Tell me that... Tell me that you're dedicated to me and to me alone. So Shulamith is describing a kind of love that is very different from what is commonly portrayed today in, in movies or in, in top 40 chart hits. And it's very common today to talk about love as something that you fall into. And it's not uncommon to talk today about love that is something that you fall out of. But this is the kind of love that Shulavith is not referring to here. Well, what kind of love is she referring to? See, there's another very famous chapter about love, and it's found in the New Testament, and this is a, a very quotable chapter on love. It's 1 Corinthians 13. It's actually famously known as the love chapter. If you ever go to a wedding, chances are you will hear parts of Scripture from this very particular chapter being quoted. And, and 1 Corinthians 13 gives us a picture of how the Bible describes love. And I just want to look at a couple of verses from 1 Corinthians 13. I'm going to start at verse 7. Here's what it says. Love always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where, where there are tongues, they will be stilled. And where there is knowledge, it will pass away. The kind of love that, that's being described here is, is God's love. Um, in the original Greek in which the Bible is written, the word is agape, agape love. Agape love is God's love. It, it's the love that God has for all people. It's, it's the love that God has actually for you, for each and every one of us here. It flows from his nature. It flows from his character. The Bible says that God is love. That one of the most natural things for God to do is to love because it's who he is. And this love, 1 Corinthians 13 says, it always perseveres. And this love, 1 Corinthians 13 says, it, it, it never fails. It's unquenchable. It's unstoppable. It's the kind of love that Shulamith is actually referring to here. See, God is love, and God loves you, period. You can't buy this love. You can't earn this love. None of us really deserve this love. But God gives it to us without measure, 
fully, period. There are no clauses in it. I will love you if, or I love you because. God's love is the purest, most beautiful expression of love in all of the cosmos, in all of the universe, and it is for us. There is nothing you can do to make God love you more. There's nothing you have ever done to make God love you less. People might fail. Marriages might fail. But God's love never fails. And this is the kind of love that Shulamith is referring to. This isn't love that you fall into. This is love that you stay into. It's something you choose. It's something that you are dedicated to towards. It's a different kind of love. It's a strange saying, really, when you think about it. Fell in love, right? How do you fall into love? I mean, you can fall into a lake. You can fall into a pile of doggy do, okay? But technically, you don't fall into love. You might fall into infatuation in the early stages of your love relationship. You might fall into excitement, but you can't ultimately fall into love. True love isn't something you fall into, it's something you stay into. And that's what, why, why what Shulamith is asking for here is dedication. She's asking for lifelong, dedicated commitment. A lifelong love relationship will not survive without it. And so in your relationship together, it's important, married couples, that you choose each day that you will be dedicated to each other. You make a commitment to each other before God. And you make a commitment to yourself. I will be dedicated. I am into this for the rest of my life. For richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health until death do us part. Because here's the thing. Your dedication will be tested. Someone at work will flirt with you. An old flame will contact you on Facebook. You will be away on a business trip and an anonymous opportunity will come before you. Sickness, bankruptcy will invade and give you every reason and every desire to walk away. Your love will be tested. And the question is, for lifelong love, the question you must ask yourself every single day is, are you dedicated? Are you dedicated to each other? Shulamith wanted Solomon to declare his dedication to her. And let me just say this. There's a very important principle here. The fact that she was asking for a declaration. It is important that you declare your dedication to your spouse on a regular basis. Do it regularly. Do it often. Tell her that she is your one and only. Tell him that you have eyes only for him. This is essential, essential for powerful lifelong love. Because here's the thing. When you, when you do that, when you declare your love for the person who's you're married to, when you do that, two powerful byproducts are produced. Trust and security. Trust and security. When you declare it, every time you declare it, you generate trust and security. And the more you add dedication to your relationship, the more trust and security in your relationship begins to grow. And if your relationship is an engine, okay, these are the grease in the gears of your relationship. 
If you do not have trust and security in your relationship, your engine ultimately will stall. It will go nowhere. But if you have much trust and security in your relationship, your relationship will soar. Your relationship will take off. How do you generate trust and security in a relationship? You declare your dedication one to another, and you do it regularly. You do it every day. Do it all throughout the day if you have to. Because that person wants to feel safe. They want to feel secure. Now here's the question. How do, how, do, how do you generate this kind of dedication in your marriage? If dedication is so important, how do you generate it? And, and my answer for you this morning is going to seem ridiculously simplistic. And, and I say it because the Bible teaches it. And I say it because I've experienced it personally in my life. The way that I bring dedication into my marriage, the way I'm able to sustain dedication in my marriage is I bring Christ into the center of my marriage. That's the way I do it. That's the way forward for me. Uh, One of the things Karen and I I do uh, on a regular basis is every single evening before we go to bed, before we go to sleep, we pray together, okay? I'm, I'm ashamed to admit it, but there were many years in my life where this was not a regular practice for us. We weren't very good at it. Um, but we planted a church, and we were pretty stressed out about that. Um, maybe I had teenage daughters, and we were pretty stressed out about that. Um, so these, these two experiences in our life brought us to our knees before God, and we brought Jesus into our relationship together every single day, and we haven't stopped since there. That we bring the issues of our lives before Jesus together, and it has made all the difference. It, it has given us a deeper sense of intimacy because we are pouring our hearts out to him together. It's also strengthened this marriage. our marriage. It's given us a supernatural power to be able not just survive life, but to thrive in the midst of life. Uh, we have seen God's power at work in our lives, in our families, in the lives of other people. And the reason why is we, because we chose to bring Jesus into the center of our marriage. And that has increased our dedication to each other. It's made all the difference. When Christ stands in the middle of your relationship, your marriage will thrive. Now, of course, the important question then is, where does Christ in your own personal life, right? I could never bring Jesus into my marriage if I didn't bring Jesus, first of all, into me. And I have to say, friends, if, if I did not have Christ in my life, and I say this just from very personal practical a uh, very personal um, story is if I did not have Christ in my life, I would be a lousy husband. I really would. Now, I'm not saying that unless, you know, that you can't be a good husband unless, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying for me, um, because I was a selfish, angry, mean-spirited jerk face before I met Jesus. And Christ has transformed me from the inside out. And the one thing that has transformed my life more than anything else is the reality of God's love. The truth is that Jesus is dedicated to me. He is dedicated to me. And how do I know that to be true? How do I know that Christ has a dedicated love for me? Well, the Bible teaches that Jesus left heaven and he came into earth as a human being. He gave up everything and came as a man. He lived among us and he grew among us and he served humanity while he was here on earth for 33 years and at the end of those 33 years he demonstrated his love for us by giving up his life on the cross he exchanged his life for ours he demonstrated his love for us and then after he died he rose again on the third day proving that his love 
and his life and everything that he says were real and were authentic and that the cross did its work. The reason why I, I, can, I can know that he's dedicated to me is because of the life of Jesus. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, Romans 5 says, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so my, my, my desire for you and ultimately God's desire for you today is that your, mess, your marriage would soar, your marriage would thrive. And that can only happen if Christ is in the center of it. It can happen if Christ is in the center of your marriage, but more importantly, if Christ is in the center of your life. Because when Christ is in the center of two lives and they come together in a marriage and they bring Christ into the center of it, that marriage ultimately will thrive. And so the question today is, have you received Christ into your life? Have you allowed Christ to come into your life? Have you surrendered your life to him and said, Jesus, I want you to transform me. I want you to change me from the inside out. Would you give me your life? Would you give me your love? Would you forgive me of all the dumb things I've done? Would you let me begin again? And would you let me enter into this new life? And not only as I enter into it, even as my spouse enters it, as we do this, would you then come into the center of our relationship together? Let me tell you this. I have seen marriages turned around and fixed when people put Jesus in the center of it. I've seen broken lives mended and healed and restored when people put Jesus in the center of it. And Christ's offer to every single one of us today, it is free, freely given. It is unquenchable. It is unstoppable, the love he has for you. All he's asking is, would you, would you consider it? Would you take it? And would you allow him, surrender your life, and allow him to come in and change you from the inside out? That's his offer for you today. And I, and I hope for you today that you will respond to that in faith. And you say, Jesus, yes, I need that in my life. Would you come into my life and would you change me from the inside out? And maybe if you're here and you're with a spouse and you're saying, okay, our, our, our marriage is kind of rocky right now. It's fallen apart. It might be feeling like it's at the end of all things, okay, for you. Would you invite Christ into your marriage today? Would you say, Jesus, we want to invite you into the center of our relationship. Would you transform each of us? And would you change and heal and restore our relationship? Here's the thing is, Christ is faithful and he will do it. If you will surrender it and say, change it, he will transform your marriage from the inside out. And so that's my prayer for you this morning. As we end, I'm going to pray. Uh, I'm going to invite you to pray with me. And then we're going to sing and we're just going to rejoice in how good Jesus is together as a community. So why don't we stand? Why don't we stand together? I just want to pray for you this morning. Let's, let's bow our hearts before the Lord this morning. And maybe even as I was sharing this morning, something in your heart clicked or something in your heart leaped or pulsed. And you... Um, you want to respond to the Lord. I want to give you a moment to do that. He's here. He's good. He's loving. And he welcomes you, arms open wide, to enter into relationship with him. And maybe today your prayer is just simply this. Lord, I want to begin this journey with you. Maybe you want to pray that today.
Maybe you want to pray, Lord, would you, would you come into my life and would you change me? Ask him to, to forgive you. Ask him to restore you and to heal you. And just, it's really simple. Just say, Lord, I give my life to you. Lord, we pray, and I pray for marriages in this room, and even those who are moving towards it. I pray, Lord, for healing, where there is been betrayal or hurt or fighting. I pray, Lord, that there would be conversation, that there would be forgiveness, that there would be reconciliation as they step towards you together. I pray, Jesus, that our marriages would be full of Christ, full of his life and his purpose and his meaning. I pray that our marriages would Shed a spotlight on how big you are and how great you are. And we thank you for the cross. We thank you, Christ, that you are for us. And we thank you, Jesus, that you are sufficient for all of our hearts, needs, and desires. You are our everything. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.